Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Listen to me, Holmes. We've held off as long as we can. I've got to have some more stuff right away. Start lining up some of these kids. The exercises I'm giving these fat dames wouldn't reduce a fever. Besides, I got messages from three of the joints. They haven't got any more stuff either. Now, start lining up some of those bobby soxers and line them up fast. Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of 50 Date Night Screams. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Hi, beautiful. Uh, it's good, except for the movie we just watched. But yeah. That's fine. Totally. Yeah. Well... So I want to start off this episode by giving some content warnings. This movie deals with suicide, and it also deals with diet culture. So if those are things that you don't care to listen to us natter on about, then you might want to skip this episode, and we will see you for the next one. Now, this is episode 12, The Devil's Sleep. I did not understand what they meant by the devil's sleep until my second viewing (laughs) of this movie. Anyway, all right. So about this movie, The Devil's Sleep, the year is 1949. It is in black and white. The director was W. Merle Connell, who directed about 14 films, I think, That was kind of all that there was in his IMDb profile. And when I went to IMDb, it had a 4.0 out of 10. Uh Uh-oh. On the ratings. Okay. I don't know how long it is. Hold on. Hold, please. It seemed long. (laughs) It is 72 minutes. So it is one hour and 12 minutes long. That's 71 (laughs) minutes too long, but yes. (laughs) All right. And... The hilarious tagline, innocent youth trapped in a hopped up hell. Nice, right? (laughs) I especially like the tie-in between the devil's sleep, hell, goes together. Let's give a summary. I have two summaries. I have the IMDb summary. One sentence, love it. The head of an illegal drug ring uses a women's health spa as a front for his sleeping pill racket. Pretty good. Now, here's, here's a longer summary. That I'm going to read. I've not I've not read this before, so this is always fun. My first time reading these things because they're they're just you know, just classic and very well written. All right, there is a terrible scourge running through the community in the form of pills being pushed to the youth through a local women's health club. A female judge, because of course you know you have to put female in front of okay, with the aid of a police detective, looks to crusade against this problem in the community. And eliminate it. Unfortunately, the drug ring has some compromising photos of the judge's daughter they hope to use as an advantage against her. I don't know. What do you think about that summary? It's pretty accurate. The first sentence does a little bit of a disservice to the plot. There's definitely some side quests in this story that uh, continues. So there's there's some things in here that I think that, that did a better job. It wasn't until my second viewing that I got to the very end, and we'll go through the plot and all of that, that I typed in my notes in all caps, this is totally propaganda. (laughs) So I think there's a term for it, though. Isn't that right, Mike? Yeah, well, this was the... Um, these were sort of uh, what we call the juvenile delinquency uh, films that were warning against youth being corrupted right so we're in that middle stage which we'll get into a little bit but a middle stage between teenagers being the future and 
essentially being a value and and all this you know we were trying to sell them stuff and the converse which is that uh they're a scourge you know that's right we're in the scourge stage right now people taking drugs that are harmful to them i mean i think we're all like against that but this this was wild it was clearly just a movie just to to say don't do drugs i mean clearly that was the whole thrust of the movie it just took a really long time in a very convoluted way (laughs) to get there all right so this movie opens the way that many of these movies opened and it is on the front page of a newspaper of course you know and we have that that female judge you know because you can't just say judge you have to say (laughs) if she if she's a lady, if she has a vagina, you have to put that female in front and, of and it. And call her lady judge. You could have done that too. I so, know. That's yeah. that's actually worse. You know, <laughs> that's actually worse. I, I, it is maybe notable for 1949. It's even maybe notable today. And I will tell you why. Because I got, uh, you know, some sand in my own vagina about this situation and looked up Women judges and the history of women judges. And I didn't learn a lot, but there's a couple things that I would like to say. The first is that, yes, it opens on this judge. The judge happens to be a woman. And I got real excited and happy about that because it's not something that I expected to see. Okay. And also the character is not like uh, a, a romantic lead or anything like that. She's not the plucky. She's not a plucky judge she's a rather serious person okay so let me tell you about female judges for just just a brief brief moment the first woman was admitted to the bar in 1869 all right this is only the united states that's that's all i care about okay and (laughs) that was also the same year that the first woman graduated from law school so it was two different women the one who was admitted to the bar had a had male lawyers in the family and so that's how that worked out and then there was another woman that actually graduated from law school okay even today women are only about 35 percent of judges it depends on what you're looking at what i i don't even pretend to understand all the different roles of judges and all the different ways one could be a judge but it does appear to be around that mid 30 percentages maybe if you looked at certain uh, special segments of judges, I don't know, family court, something like that, like it might be different. But overall, especially in the higher levels of judgery, uh, it's about 35%. Okay. So that was what I learned when I did a really, a really quick look of judges. So in 1949, it would not have been very common for there, there to have been a woman judge. And I, I do wonder at the genesis of why that was decided, maybe because so much of the movie revolves around a women's health spa and they, and, uh, and that was something that they thought maybe the dynamic there needed to, to, to be that way. It was pretty good to see this female judge. So the movie starts out, we're understanding that there's a drug problem in the community. These kids are receiving drugs from somewhere and they're trying to figure out where and you've got this detective and they're kind of trying to run it down all right and we've got this judge she has a daughter who i guess is supposed to be a teenager again a lot of these characters don't look the actors don't really look like teenagers yeah that right yeah (laughs) it's an ongoing this one's bad like sometimes people will make jokes and you're like you know we we start dartmouth gentlemen ah they could be um, this one's rough. They definitely look older. Some of the boyfriends just look too old for who they are. It's just – it's awkward. Again, because the drugs are supposed to be tempting them into sort of a life of crime because they're supposed to be innocent. So that's particular makes this a little bit tough to swallow some of these leathery co- college or high school students. Yeah, and at one point, maybe even at a couple of points, the judge calls them children. Her, her name is uh, Rosalind, Rosalind Ballantine. And it, it's kind of like, well, I, they look like they're, <laughs> I mean, maybe you'd put them in college, but I don't know. 
I have a 15, almost 16 year old. <laughs> like it doesn't look like he doesn't look like he's 25 like these people did. So it's a little wild. What's this about Mr. America? Is he really going to be working here? Yeah, the boss hired him a couple of days ago. <laughs> Boy, with that hunger man outside, we'll be pulling in more chumps than we can handle. You're not kidding. I'd walk a couple of blocks to that myself. We're going through the plot here. And it's pretty clear, it's not a whodunit in any kind of way, it's pretty clear that what's going on is that this man has what they're calling a women's health spa. And so, and they're so rude about the way that they talk about it because they are essentially saying the men that run the health spa and then are also running the drug ring, they want women to come into the spa and then they give them like, you know, like silly little exercise classes that are not really going to do anything. They're like touching their toes and stuff like that. You know, so how the women are really losing weight is that they're giving them drugs to lose weight. And they talk about them like, you know, we're getting $10 a head for these gals. They use all kinds of body shaming terminology and all of that to talk about them. And essentially... They're getting the pills, they're giving them to the women, and then they're also selling them to the teenagers on the street. And they have at least one teenager who is actually doing the selling. So he's like the one, he's like the go-between. I don't think most of the kids know where the pills are coming from. They just know they're coming from this this kid that they know. Right. Uh, his uncle. <laughs> right. So the kid is like he's supposed to be his nephew. I don't think that's true. But that's the arrangement on paper where they say stuff like, oh, my uncle. And he's like, that's how they can seal the villain's identity. It's pretty wild. And I don't know how many times I was like, I gasped because of the way that the men were talking about the women and talking about their bodies and talking about their figures and essentially giving them uh, drugs that like could be prescribed, but un but using them not under the care of a physician come with some risks. And they do mention that some people who take these drugs may have heart problems. And in fact, one of the the men in the drug ring says to his boss, yeah, I'm getting a spare tire. Maybe I should, uh, you know, try this for a little while. And the boss goes, yeah, no, don't do that. You know, like it's give you a heart attack. You'd be dropping like flies. Like, don't do that. And he goes, oh, okay. I guess we'll just let the women take the drugs. <laughs> so wild <laughs> really it, it, it's fascinating because uh our villain who we're going to get into umberto scali uh sometimes spelled as humberto but umberto scali is quite enterprising he's got several things going on at once so he's got this club and he's got these kids and he's trying to do both at the same time uh, and when one business isn't generating enough income he's pushing on the other business to get him more income but he's apparently enterprisingly using the same amount of drugs Maybe not the same drugs, but certainly related uh, to get his profit. So it's it's sort of interesting because it's a little bit of a criminal – literally, it's not a little bit. It's a, a literal criminal enterprise. Uh, they call it Diana Health Industry, um, So, which is entertaining because it's called Diana Health Industry. But he, he's got this dual businesses. He's got his front, which is legitimate, um, which we get into later when he starts hiring people to work for him to advertise the business. And then he's got – this other sort of secret illegal ring. So he's got two different businesses running at the same time. Yeah, neither one of them legitimate. Um, they're both. Well, Diana Health System is a, pl a play. Like you said, it's it's legitimate in the sense that it's got a sign. He's advertising. It's just right. it's doing it illegally. The kid thing is, it's not like it's a legitimate business at all. It's no, just, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah he's just yeah. he's just selling drugs. Uh -huh. He's just dealing drugs. But he's dealing drugs to everybody. He's dealing drugs too. Women who want to lose a few pounds and then also to the kids who just want to have a good time. The so, goofies. The goofies. <laughs> so the heart of the plot is the kids are having a party and the judge's daughter happens to be at the party. There's a lot of messing around. There's a lot of pushing people into pools. There, I was pretty surprised that for a movie made in 1949, there were a lot of actresses who were in small bathing suits or not much else and at one point the daughter of the judge gets pu gets pushed into the pool and she loses her bathing suit in the pool so now she's naked in the pool okay and so this is all a setup this is all a setup 
She's trying to get out of the pool. She's asking for someone to get her a towel, et cetera, et cetera. They're like, oh, no, here, here's what we'll do. Now, they're all also high, by the way. So this is why it doesn't make a lot of sense and you don't really understand why she's going along with it. But she's young and she's high and she doesn't understand what's going on. So they say, we're going to turn off all of the lights out here. Makes sense when you're all around a pool. And get out of the pool and we'll give you a towel. And nobody's going to look. Everyone's going to be like um, a gentleman or whatever he says. And we're not going to look. So they do this. Now, what happens? There's a photographer hiding in the bushes. It's the second time in this series of movies that we're seeing photographer hiding. And this man takes a photo. However, there's actually two photographers. What a twist. What a twist. There's the one that they see who they think took a photo. He may or may not have taken a photo, but they confront him and they get his film. There is another photographer that they don't see who takes a real photo, but they must have timed the flash in some way or the kids didn't really notice. I don't think if I was at a party in high, I would notice this going on. So I think it's kind of understandable that a second flash occurred from somewhere else and they did take a real photo. So, so now they have a blackmail photo right. of this judge's daughter naked climbing out of a pool at this party where they're taking goofies or whatever they're taking. I think we have to dig into this because a few things happen. First of all, she doesn't go into the pool the first time. They start doing blind man's bluff. Yeah. yeah. And they manage to push her into the pool the first time. So she actually goes and has wet clothes now and go and leaves. And goes and goes into some bathroom or whatever. And someone spikes her drink. So not only is this sort of a situation where she's not actually one of the drug takers, um, but she's now actually, it wasn't the first time. The second time is when it happens. Right. Because she's now wearing a towel. I don't know what the circumstances are, but she's not wearing what she was normally wearing. And that's how she gets She naked. may have like been in her underwear or something. I wasn't I really so. sure what she was supposed to be wearing because she was wearing her dress. Her dress had gotten all wet the first time she fell in the pool. She comes out again. She may have been in her underwear, but then later she's wearing something that looks like a bathing suit. So I'm not really sure. But the crux of the matter is, is that she ends up naked at some point. Right. And, and she's been roofied also. And weirdly, she came to a pool party without a bathing suit. So that was the other weird thing. It was like, well, I'm just changing your bathing suit the second time. But Only the girls, though. Right. They're supposed to be girls. They're yeah. probably actually women. They're the only ones that are in bathing suits and getting pushed into the pool, by the right. way. Right. You know, and the ones wearing a bathing suit that I actually don't know, they had must have used tape or something to hold it onto her because I don't even know how that stayed on her. There was no back to it. It was just like her breasts were covered. Yeah. It was it was kind of surprising for the time. And then also because this is clearly a propaganda movie just to warn people about kids don't do drugs. Yeah, and this has flashback. You mentioned it to City of Missing Girls, which is very similar that you have. What we love is that how this today would be a completely different circumstance. Back then, you had a significant setup to get a camera to work yeah. and to get a camera to work where somebody wouldn't notice it, right? So uh, in City of Missing Girls, it's some guy in a closet. I guess that's supposed to be, he's like, what's that flash? And then he doesn't we, notice We, I don't on. think we ever know where that photographer right. was at. They, don't, they just say it happened. We don't know where it was. <laughs> In this situation, they do a, a little switcheroo, but it goes back to a few things. One, it has to be in the dark, right? So they set that up so it was in the dark so that they can take the photo. Two, they have two photographers, as you mentioned. What's, of course, super weird is it's not like a, one of the kids, air quotes kids, doing it. It's actually this like much older man who's being super creepo to begin with. So then we have that, right? So we have a weird dude taking photos and the boyfriend basically demands the film and that's supposed to be enough. And he lets it go. He's like, Oh, well, as long as I've got the film, I guess that's okay. And it's, there's a little bit of a scuffle, but essentially they get away with it. Um, of course they have to get away with it for the plot, but it is a, <laughs> this very contrived scenario all because back then film required a flash film required some time. It was almost impossible to really surprise someone with a camera without some trickery uh, City of Missing Girls, you hid in a closet. In The Devil's Sleep, you have a another – there was another photographer in the bushes. Yeah, and what's funny is – not funny, but the detective actually figures it out. When he gets the story, he you know grabs the kids and is trying to figure out what happened because the the photo is produced 
to the judge and she's told to lay off or, you know, we're going to use this photo against you. And the detective says, oh, and this is the term he uses, and I'd never heard it before, so I had to look it up. He says, oh, they pulled a gypsy switch on you. That's right. So, yeah. So, and I guess that kind of refers to like magic tricks type of thing, sleight of hand. Um, so the it, it's funny because the detective knew right away what had happened and describes it because otherwise, like, the, the kids are confused. <laughs> and the judge's daughter, when she gets out of the pool, the whole scuffle with the fake photographer takes place. She goes into the house or the bathhouse or whatever. Somebody's going to take her home. And she's trying to find, like, her dress is all wet and she's a mess. I was struck how she was crying. She was upset. And she was really crying, like, in such a heartbroken way. Like, it was really good acting, <laughs> like I thought. Because it was just, I could see and feel where she was coming from as an innocent person just looking to hang out with friends becomes victimized and now she's worried about what she's going to bring down upon herself upon her mother and upon their future because presumably her mother makes the money and you know keeps the roof over their head and, and food on the table so what happens if if her mother's credibility is undermined you, you know and that's what's on her mind and so she's crying in such a heartbroken way Part of this is, and we find and part of the, th the challenge with the way this was filmed is there's a lot of, oh, wait, that happened off camera. So there's a lot of discussions and things that happen where you're like, I, I guess I didn't see that or they didn't film it. But we didn't, it, it's not clear right away what happened, right? We know that she got pushed into the pool once and fell into the pool once. We think, suspect she may have been roofied. We figured that out later. Um, but a lot of this comes out sort of the detective figuring it out step by step as to how this went down. So it's it's a little confusing because it, it just seems that she's upset about that situation. Later on, she gets upset because she realizes it's being used for blackmail because she basically goes through her mother's desk. The, the judge is being blackmailed with this photo and she has the photo. And they're trying to figure out, her and the detective are trying to figure out how they can get the negative back. So for you kids, <laughs> with physical film... It was developed from the negative. The film was actually called the negative, and then you would develop it and develop the photo. So just having the photo wasn't enough. You have to have the negative because they could produce as many copies of this photo as they wanted with, without, you know, as long as they had the negative. So the judge and the detective had to find a way to, to get this negative, and they were trying to figure it out. I, I don't think they ever quite came up with a plan. The daughter finds the photo. She's very upset. She doesn't remember what happened or know what happened. She's, it's probably all a blur to her. She's worried about her mother. Her mother is like, look, we're going to handle this. Like, I know that I know your character. And the, the parenting is actually pretty good. You know, she doesn't blame her daughter for anything. She recognizes this is actually about her. And... Being a mother myself, I could see that I would, if I were her, I would be blaming myself. They're coming after my kid because of what I'm trying to do and do my job and make sure that people who commit crimes are, are put away. And I don't know if we mentioned this, but it's important to point out that it's, this really starts because she says, we have to go after these guys. And yeah. she, she brings out a litany of things that are causing kids to turn to drugs, which is... Which I don't know if, like, judges... If that's the thing that judges should be doing, right, by the way. Right, it's not the DA, it's, right? So this <laughs> is a little bit weird, because you're like... Yeah, you're like, you're the be? judge. You're supposed to be impartial. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to be telling the detective what to do, but anyway. And she starts rattling off fast-paced world, race riots she throws in there. She throws in a few other ales of threats of war or whatever else that she thinks is causing the kids to turn to drugs. But it's, it's an interesting thing because it is a unique personality that's surprisingly involved in enforcement, right? She's supposed to be a judge and she's going after this, basically telling this detective who she acts like she's his boss, um, that he better go figure this out. And uh, I think his actual boss shows up occasionally, but for the most part, he listens to her. He does what she does, what she tells him to do. Maybe there's a little sexual touch in there. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So what happens is that the daughter is distraught. 
she has some pills in her possession. She goes into her room, again, crying hysterically. We see her looking at the pills. We see her mother outside the door trying to console her. And then off screen, she presumably takes all these pills. We don't see her take the pills. But she presumably takes enough of them because the next scene is that the daughter is in a hospital bed. And thus the name of the movie, Devil's Nap. Because de- it's very quick. <laughs> the Devil's Nap. <laughs> There's like, it's like whiplash. You're like, I, what happened? She's, you saw the pills and the next thing you know, she's in the hospital. It's like a very, fa- this is one of the challenges with this. I mean, partially because they can't show it, right? They didn't want to show taking pills on screen. But it is so implied. You have to go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. That's why that's she's why. in the hospital. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And also, too, just the nature of it, black and white, all of that. You're like, who's in the bed? The, the, the judge is sitting there. So you're like, well, who else? Whose bedside would she be beside? Her right. daughter's. So, of course, that's what happened. And then you're wondering, was there an accident? No. No, she took the pills. And it's actually a really sad moment in the film that this that these people were so victimized because they were you know, quite rightly trying to shut down this dude's drug ring. Those blimps really line your pockets. You're right about that. Ten bucks per treatment. I got no complaints. I still have to laugh, though. Look at them. Up. Right. Up. Left. Up. Right. It's like trained elephants, eh, Tony? All right. We figured all of that out, that that's what happened. And this is sort of the, the end of the movie here. What's hilarious to me... And when I was started typing my notes in all caps is when the doctor and the detective are having a conversation about what happened. And the doctor goes into this very rehearsed sounding speech about the evils of these drugs and how, but if they're, if doctors prescribe them, it's okay. But then he starts saying, But doctors may prescribe like a hundred pills at a time because they don't want to have to keep writing scripts. It makes it easier for the patients. They don't have to come back for refills. And then that's how you end up with this flood of pills. And it is then going to people that are, you know, using them to give them to people for whom they're not prescribed. So he kind of describes this way in which drugs are getting into the community in a harmful way. And as always, there's a family connection. So all everybody's sort of married to everybody else or dating everybody else. Everybody knows everybody else in the context of this. So there turns into like a subplot of Scooby-Doo level antics where everybody decides they're going to bring Umberto Scali down. Uh, they want to help. They're not with the law. So the boyfriend tries something. I, I think the... The detective's wife, somebody else is trying something, and they're all essentially trying to go after Umberto Scali in the worst, most obvious way possible, right? So they decide that they're all going to pretend to work for him. That's the plan. Everybody keeps trying to use. and and To infiltrate, basically. Infiltrate, essentially. But it never works. Like, within five minutes, none of it works. No. Like, it doesn't work with the boyfriend, it, which they knock him out. It doesn't work with, the, uh, I guess... The the I keep wanting to call him the DA. He's not the DA. The detectives. I think it's his wife. She doesn't get very far. She's sort of like trying to go through Umberto's desk. So there's the other thing is to set up this tension, and the the key that sort of the judge and the and the detective finally get is they're trying to figure out who is the uncle because they they don't know who the older man is that's involved with this kid. Right, the kid's having pool parties. He's got this house. And they're like, who owns the house? And I guess they have records, little records, record player playing a record of a of a recording of a interrogation of who this uncle is. And they finally get that it's Umberto Scali. And that's when they move while all this other stuff is going on. Right. So while there's a damsel in distress, there's the idiot who's deciding he's going to pretend to be working for them. And all that comes to a head. And that's when they have a scuffle. Right. And that, and this is taking place at the health spa. At the health spa. Right. I don't know what they're looking for or how they're trying. They're, I, I, I think at this point they're just trying anything to right. find the negatives or find something on him and eventually have something that they can arrest him. Right. So they're trying everything. And, of course, my favorite is, was it Mr. Universe? Who was? <laughs> Mr. Who was the- America? 
Yes, I guess he was Mr. America. Yeah. Um, uh, George, right? Is that George? George. Poor George. Yeah. One of the things that's done in a lot of these films is when they have these guest stars, they have two issues. They want to sh- put them in a film that presumably raises the profile of the film and also uh, is relevant to the plot. They also don't want to besmirch the person's real life reputation. So they play George for a dupe. He basically comes in. Uh, he's this, you know, very strong person. And they don't they very clearly make it a point of saying we're keeping him in the dark. And there are things that even George starts to suspect. My favorite is where he, with his bare hands, yanks a lock off a locker where the drugs are held. <laughs> uh, just like hoaxes his way into the into the, the not very secure locker of drugs and figures it out. And he tries to help. And, of course, he gets knocked out like a chump in about two seconds. So he's no help either. Although at one point he, like, again, hoaxes his way out of whatever they tied him into. Um, and there's a thug. I think his name was Pug. Pug the thug. Um, there's a, a, a bad guy working on behalf of Umberto who is very disdainful of George's strength and, of course, learns the hard way that, that he's actually really strong. But he doesn't do anything. He's almost no help whatsoever. But his reputation's intact. So that's what matters. So we need to talk about Umberto. And I think it's important we have a little discussion about Italians and how they were portrayed um, in media uh, of which Umberto is the worst. So, um, you know, this is uh, Hayes Code, right? So this is, we, the Hayes Code is well in effect. That's from 1934. So certainly this is where you get these sort of juvenile delinquency films. Um, so we get that. That's, some, that's one force that's sort of at work. But the other force is really Italians as villains. This goes back to Columbus Day. You'll see this a lot. So this is my rant. Um, Columbus Day uh, was created in 1892 by President Harrison in response to anti-Italian motivated lynching of 11 Italian Americans in New Orleans in 1891. And this was actually part of a deal with the Italian government. So there's a lot of Italians who are very anxious about their reputation and Columbus Day. That's why you'll hear a lot of people passionate about it. But um, this was this got worse in World War II. Right. So as you can imagine, if you're looking at the time frame, um, this is a problem where Umberto Scali is representative of literally the worst kind of fear, not quite mob, right? We're not at mob boss level yet. That's not mentioned. Um, but he's definitely the sort of the prototype of that villain. He's, he's just sort of just, he's just nasty, um, and violent, violent towards women. But Umberto Scali, uh, in the role of, uh, this villain and, um, our fearless actor here, uh, what's his name? The actor's name is Timothy Farrell. So Timothy Farrell. So apparently, because this is a Poverty Row production, so that means they got cranked out quite a bit. There was a philosophy that making these characters um, actually took work, right? Go figure. And uh, actors presumably rehearsed and they had uh, dressing rooms, makeup, etc. to get into character. I don't know about that, but whatever the case, there was an assumption that that was something that you could essentially save money on by having someone play the same character. So Umberto Scali is in three different films, even though he dies in one of them. So he doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if he goes to prison. There's nobody's concerned about anyone potentially even caring that much about him being in uh, different movies. He's in uh, Dance Hall Girls and Racket Girls. Uh, Dance Hall Girls is he has a dance hall where uh, men pay to dance with women. Uh, and potentially more. And it's, again, a front for some kind of ring, some kind of criminal ring. And uh, Racket Girls is actually a lot like this one, where he uh, uses female wrestlers as a cover. And uh, one of the female wrestlers is actually a famous female wrestler from, you know, in real life at the time. And the same thing, she's sort of used as a dupe so that we don't besmirch her reputation. Um, But it's very similar plots, even. And they're all these juvenile delinquency warnings about the the, how crime doesn't pay but umberto uh got around even though he even when he died once just a sneaky sneaky guy everything that he says in the movie is really disgusting i mean you've got them talking about women as not only something to make money off of they call them blimps they, yeah they, yeah they, call, they he, make fun of their weight there's all sorts thing. of terms yeah. there is some really long scenes in the movie where um, a woman of size, there's many, many jokes made on about her body, and she even makes them herself. It's so – it's hard to watch, honestly, and the, the whole thing is, is really gross. And 
I don't know about teenagers at the time. I don't I don't get the impression that this that this was an actual really big problem that teenagers were doing a lot of drugs post World War II, but they make it seem like it is. It's almost seems like one of these like just panic things that people were worried about the way that the world was changing and it upset them and so they were making these films in order to sort of warn, I guess, parents, you know, that they should be watching out for this in their kids and that they could, their kids could be drawn into these horrible situations where they're partying and using drugs. And on the poster, it even says, you know, sex, exclamation point, pills, exclamation point, depravity, exclamation point. And it's kind of like, it, to our 2023 eyes, it's pretty tame, although I recognize for the time there was quite a lot of skin in this movie that maybe you didn't see in, in other movies because I think they were trying to illustrate the situation and then they were also probably just trying to get eyeballs on the screen and how do you do that, you know, like naked chicks, right? So, I mean... And there is a theory that there was scenes cut. There, I think there is because there is some of the reviews alluded to full frontal nudity, and we didn't. No, we didn't. See we didn't that. see that, so that must have been cut from the versions that we have access to. Um, but but that, I mean, let's just bask in the absurdity of full frontal nudity in a movie telling you about worrying correct. about drugs. <laughs> just correct. to be clear, so we're, we'll sort of trade. We'll trade you a vice. Right. Which one you want? Right. So you you learn your lesson about this thing, but we'll totally exploit women on film yes. to get you to watch it. Right. Yeah. We'll exploit them in order to tell you not to exploit them. Right. I guess is what they're trying to well, get at. Yeah. I don't know that I don't think anyone in the movie actually has sex. If something happens to one of the women because she has been given drugs without her consent, that is not mentioned by any of the reviews that I looked at. And it wasn't in the movie. So I don't know where sex comes in. It's not even really any physical contact between. I mean, there is the boyfriend-girlfriend situation. And I think there was definitely this concern. Because one of the things that becomes clear in the beginning of the film is the boyfriend of the, the judge's daughter is doing drugs. Like he is her having, because he makes a comment. They get interrogated. There's a oh, whole yeah. scene They're, where the, the kids are doing the drugs. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of implied that somehow the boyfriend got her into this. Right. Um. So, you know, the so boyfriend equals sex, sex equals drugs, right? Definitely the main thrust of the, of the film was to try to make you afraid of your kids doing drugs and getting into trouble and potentially ending up, you know. And then the poor daughter was the one, like, she didn't choose any – aside from choosing to go to a party, she didn't choose any of this. This was all perpetrated upon her to the point where she was suicidal. So, super unfortunate. Well, we were playing blind man's bluff around the pool. Margie fell in and couldn't find a bathing suit after she got out. She put a towel around her and someone knocked her back in the water without the towel. When we put the lights out so she could climb out, this joker set up the flash bulb. That's just what I had figured. It was a frame. They pulled the old gypsy switch on you. They had another camera with a real film in it. I don't know. Should we get to some ratings for this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it's not going well. I think we hit inappropriate bingo again. This is like two movies in a row. It's just like, take your pick. We hit most of them, if not all of them. So, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, it's not going well, but let's do it. All right. The question is... Is this a horror movie or is it something else? This is not a horror movie. Not in any... Maybe if you were a person of the time who was super worried about drugs infiltrating your neighborhood. I don't know, man. As a mom, you seem pretty offended by this film. I feel like I, I it's I was horrifying. pretty offended. I mean, it's not, it's not a horror movie. It's certainly things that... I have discussed with my children and told them about and, you know, human nature and how a seemingly innocent decision just because you want to have fun and do age-appropriate things can send you down a path if you're not aware 
of what other people are doing. And it is it's interesting and you said this before too. It's a little it's it's surprisingly modern both the way they talk about drug use and medical professionals prescribing drugs but also too that like this photo potentially ruined this girl's life way easier today, right? So back then they had to contrive this whole thing and then they had the photo, but you know, it, you could easily arrange this with way less work today. Take a phone, you know, somebody not clothed and have that photo and it absolutely happens. So it's horrifying. Yes. It's not a horror. No. And that, I mean, people accidentally do it to themselves because they trust someone, they love someone, and they trust that person with their body or with images of their body. You just have to be so careful in who you trust and what you do and the photos that you take, the things that you type into your phone, it's it's all of that. And so, you know, you can see how just a small decision or trusting someone who ultimately doesn't turn out to be someone that you should can just end up, you know, resulting in a bad situation for you. And then the devil sleep. And then the devil sleep. All right. Okay. So let's give it some ratings. We're going to give it zero to five knives glasses of wine, and then screams. All right, but I'm going to start with you, Mike, and how many knives you're going to give this movie. And that is, you know, what was the body count? Was it gory? Was there any anything cool as far as tension and danger? You know, things that we would think about with a, with a horror movie. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. Um, there are some horrifying moments. Sadly, most of the way that all the tension in this film is really just not on screen, unfortunately. And yeah. It's so almost so repressed in yeah. some ways and then so loose with other things. It's just that, sad. Yeah. Like, it's just sad. It's just a sad story. And then they try to add humor by at the expense of women, essentially, yeah. and make fun of their weight. So if yeah. there's humor in there, that's basically it. There is, by the way, we I forgot to mention this. There's a scene where they get into a fight. So the boyfriend, I don't know who else, decides to come after this Umberto. And they raid the house, not the house, the the Diana um, Health Industry. The spa. The spa, thank you, the health spa. And they come in and they get into this brawl with the, the bad guys who work for Umberto. And at one point, one of the kids puts on glasses and waves his finger to prevent being punched in the face because he's wearing glasses. And uh, he gets punched in the face anyway. And uh, I think that character is talking about all these hilarious ways he helped out. And he didn't help because he got knocked out. Uh, and they all have a good laugh, you know, 1980s cartoon style uh, at the end of, of the, the the movie. So there was just a lot of, like, misfires of trying to get a very serious subject to be nothing but just sort of unrelenting grimness. Um, so in for that... I would give it one knife. I wouldn't go down to zero. I'm almost doing a half a knife, but I, I think I'll say one. It is, it's rough. Like a lot of what's happening is absolutely disturbing. Uh, if you think about it as an adult, I think if you look at this as sort of like a horror fan, you're like, this is just stupid. But if you think about like, okay, let me take this topic seriously, which you and I both do as parents. Um, I think it's, it is disturbing. So I don't want to say it's, I don't want to minimize what's happening with, with no st- knives. So I, I'll, I'll give it one. Yeah, I'm going to give it one. It's a serious topic, and it's something that we all have to grapple with at some point and have discussions about and talk to our kids about. But if this movie was supposed to be some kind of a warning or supposed to educate you, fail. Completely failed. Like, I'm not worried about my kids... you know, ending up in any of these situations, (laughs) frankly, because it was just laughably bad. So no, one, like one, one knife. Okay. So moving on to glasses of wine. (laughs) That would be, (laughs) how much fun did we have watching it? Did we enjoy ourselves? Was there anything redeeming about this movie at all? What do you say, Mike? How many glasses of wine? All right. Well, now we're going down. I, I, we're going into half glass territory because this was not. It, this was rough. Yeah. Um, Maybe again, the roughest more, one. I yet. think so. Yeah, I think it's in the roughest one yet. At least because the cinematography is so 
bad. The plot's so choppy. There's definitely a lot of time spent on things that you're like, I don't know why they're talking about this for so long. There's a lot of that, too, yeah. where like people have like dialogues, and you're like, why is this taking so much time on screen? So, yeah, a half a glass. Yeah. I'm going to give it one. I'm I'm still holding that half a glass in reserve. <laughs> I feel like there might be something that, that sinks a little lower than this movie. So, um, yeah, was not fun to watch at all. You could say that the humor, us being so many years later, that the humor just doesn't land with us because of the differences in society. But I don't know. I I don't even think in 1949 it would have been particularly funny. I, I mean, I were thought... people rolling in the aisles, screaming, laughing right. about yeah. that they were measuring this woman's waist and the the measuring tape wasn't big enough. So she has to, like, figure out a way to measure the woman's waist with, with like, marking her clothing so that she – I mean, it was just, like – and these aren't rapid-fire jokes or good delivery. I mean, this is the other thing. None of this is, like, punchy or no, funny. No, It's just drawn out Just awfulness. drawn out. Yeah. The woman's name is Tessie Tessie. I mean, it was yeah, like... Yeah, and that's a big joke. The joke is her first joke. name her and her Tessie last name Tessie. is the same. Is that your first name or your last name? And she's like, does, oh, let's not do this again. And I'm like, is this supposed to be, like, a who's on first situation? <laughs> you know, yes. it just didn't land at all. Look, it's hard to be funny. Like, I get that. It's hard to be funny. And to write funny dialogue, it really is. I have a lot of respect for it. But, like, they just really did not get there. I don't. I mean, I don't even know that they tried that hard or wanted to try that hard. Because the whole point of the movie was just to scare you into, I don't know, locking your teenagers up. I don't even know what you were supposed to do because there was no outcome, you know. I mean, they turned the health spa, they took it over and they turned it into a community center, which is great, which is also something that like, yeah, community centers and places for kids to go where they can have fun and socialize and are presumably not going to be pressured to do things that could even even the poor kids they make that point of even it'll be good for everybody even, even yeah poor. even the underprivileged kids they say it's like oh great okay you know thanks for that you know i mean yeah i mean i think the way that the adults in in the movie tried to deal with the situation made sense but it was just like the whole movie was just trying to make you afraid of something that like didn't actually exist and you know all these years later i mean I don't, we still, teenagers still don't have places to go that would be fun and safe for them to go. I mean, it's a huge problem. Anyway, so it was ineffective in the way that it, that it, it, it didn't convince anybody, I don't think. All right, so how many screams are we going to give this movie overall? How much did we like it? How much fun did we have? And sometimes it's poor in the knives and wine category, but it could still be something that we enjoyed for one reason or another, either purposefully or ironically. <laughs> uh, I don't know that we're going to get there this time. So, Mike, how many screams are what we going to What are you trying to do? You try to set up like a plot twist? Like we're going to say I know. Like we might be like, yes! <laughs> this movie oh my gosh. sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that reverb made it through the microphone. I mean, you know what? This is this movie was so bad that we're spiking the audio. We're gonna yep. have to pay extra for editing. <laughs> I felt like it deserved it. Um, I I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. What? I, uh, I don't know what that is. What you would know. you give it though? What's the rating? I don't know. A half. Half. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go for the one again. That's fine. I'm I'm still I'm reserving that. I'm reserving that half or that zero for something that's truly, truly. I'm a little offended by Umberto Scali. I, uh, that's that's. Oh well, yeah. I mean, half, yeah. yeah, stereotypes. Yeah, for sure. I can. I can. Among the, I mean, that. among the women's, all the other stuff, additionally, but just. On yeah, I mean, I was that. offended by the way the women were treated and the way that the to- like the topic of suicide was treated. It was like you know at the end they were all like ah oh, ha 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 you yeah. know it was like like you said like eighties cartoon like yeah. laughing at the end it was like ah oh, ha ha somebody is scarred for life you know might have ptsd but yep. you know <laughs> and uh yeah that wasn't um that wasn't great and the and the and the idea that you would treat that you wouldn't treat her attempted suicide on the same level with the other things or the fact that there didn't seem to be any repercussions for the people who were drugging 
other teenagers, like that didn't seem to be part of the problem. It was like, well, they were all just doing drugs. So of course they're going to do stuff like that. It was like, well, no, they made a choice. Like they made a choice to victimize this young woman. And like, there should be consequences for that as well. And they're just, they're just weren't, they got a community center. move along to the character the villain that mike created out of the plot of this movie which will be available for use in tabletop role-playing games all right uh i think you already told us who the character was but who is the character mike yes so umberto scali uh in this version um first of all i, I drew on the other two movies so um I couldn't just work with this one because this one's rough by itself. But the other two are even more absurd. So you add all three of those together and he is sort of a criminal mastermind because apparently he keeps showing up. He also doesn't seem to be killable. So he's an alchemist who has a clone that he uses to resuscitate himself if he dies. And he keeps generating clones. He's a very he's actually the arch villain. So there's a few villains in what is going to be 5e uh, foes, gothic villains that can essentially be the head of criminal organizations. There's two. He's one of the two. There's maybe some others that are powerful as he is. But he's meant to be sort of the arch-villain, which is ironic because he sort of comes up as a doofus in the, in the context of the film. But I think he actually makes him very interesting, which is this sort of unkillable character who seems that he's not that competent. And, you know, you try and kill him, he shows up later. So I, I, I like the idea of this sort of villain that constantly gets away because he's, that's most of his plans. His plans aren't at being a good villain. His plans are actually keeping himself alive and returning no matter what happens. So, uh, yeah, and he has a philosopher's stone that he uses to do all that stuff. So his secret is using this philosopher's stone also to make drugs. It's called Devil Sleep. I know that's a shock. And that, of course, is very addictive and hypes people up and makes them violent. So uh, wherever Umberto shows up, uh, problems crop up too, but he has three different ways that he can be used depending on the criminal enterprise. So he's got his health industry uh, concept. He's got his wrestling gladiatorial bouts, and he's got his dance hall. So um, he could be anywhere. So he's, he's quite the, he, he turned out, I mean, the character is terrible. The concept is ridiculous, but for a fantasy campaign, he actually, I got a lot of mileage out of him. So are you saying that he could appear in any one of those three places doing what he does with any of these three businesses? Right. Perhaps. And he has minions and there's sort of different uh, hierarchy. But the idea is that he's actually the man behind the scenes. So there's right. plenty of other villains we've talked about who could easily be working for him. Right. But he's the guy behind the scenes. Right, right, right. Okay. So what are his stats? How do those shake out? Yeah, he's kind of well. First of all, he's he's got a pretty good. Um, he's actually a high level. He's an 18th level caster, so he's a high level wow. smart guy. Um, again, like I said, he's meant to be like the top villain, um, and he's somewhat charismatic. He actually can pull off quite a bit of this. So he's pretty smart and he's he's pretty persuasive. But um, you know, his big thing is that he's hard to kill. Which that's that goes really far, especially when he's if he's one of those characters that you kill and then but the theme music just starts playing faster and then all the lyrics to the theme music change to latin and then you know that he's even worse than he was before and you are already fucked up because you fought him once and <laughs> somebody's now, and, and, seen a lot of anime <laughs> yeah and, pro and probably one or more of your party has been unconscious at least once and you're frantically doing first aid and then this fucker pops up again, and you got to lay him out again. Well, so. and he's not like a, a horror movie villain where you kill him and he comes, you know, he pops back up. He's the kind of guy you would for sure kill him. Like, you could decapitate his head. But he comes back the next day because he has all these backup plans where he regenerates and all that stuff. So he's really meant to be this guy that you're like, how the hell do we get rid of this guy? Which, that's even scarier. I mean, you're, you're like, yeah, we got him! And then everybody goes, you know, to the tavern and gets drunk and has a good time and, you know... And then the next day you get up and you stumble down and you're trying to find and something to is. eat. And there he is, like sitting <laughs> at the bar. Like, that's bad. Like, that's that's horrifying. All right. So he sounds really versatile. But are there any particular places that you envision this character being dropped into that the DMs could say, okay, this is where this character belongs? 
Yeah, because he's versatile, he can be in a bunch of different places. He obviously can wine and dine high society. He wants the money, so he's he'll go after people that way who are looking for these you know, fitness and spas. So that's one thing. That's that's sort of for the elite. He's certainly sort of this basic drug dealer. So he's de- dangerous to the underworld and to poverty and, and crime. Wherever he can be, any large city, he's probably there too. Um, and he certainly is on this side of um, sort of bards and you know dance halls and stuff where he can. You could have places where people are uh, portraying talent and starting out where, you know, uh, different folks may be trying to do like a nightclub kind of thing. So he can be in a lot of different places or not. He could have his minions. and You don't see him at first, but he can anywhere. There's a lot of people. That's where he's probably going to be found. Yeah. So I kind of envision him being like more in cities Mm -hmm. and but I could also see a scenario where. For instance, you have another one of the villains in this set who maybe is someone who operates in a more rural area where he's maybe trying to infiltrate. And so maybe, you know, maybe Umberto is hanging out in the city, but he has one of his other minions go into a rural area to try to expand his business there. You know, so I could see this being a really a far reaching thing that even even like an arc right that you're yeah. you're spending uh part of your campaign or even a whole campaign just to get to Umberto totally and what's interesting too is he's a really smart guy he's he's unlocked the secret of the philosopher's stone and what does he do with it he uses it to make drugs yeah so. <laughs> basic <laughs> right like <laughs> you're like you did it you unlocked the secret of life you can come back you know what I'm going to do I'm going to make a criminal empire and sell drugs but yeah that's what he did I, you know, I, that's an interesting uh, hypothetical question. What would you do if you had the Philosopher's Stone? Well, I don't. I tell you what, I wouldn't be make drugs and keep bringing my dead body back to life. <laughs> I think I would. I would be living life and hopefully enjoying it as me, not inflicting harm upon lots of people and trying to figure out how to get them addicted. But I think that's where Umberto ends up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, so he's just a bad, bad dude, unfortunately, who uh, is also apparently a stereotypical Italian. All right. So, by the way, do you think that has anything to do with the time, it being 1949 and coming out of World War II? That's why I made that comment. Absolutely. No, this is definitely the time. Uh, World War II had caused the resurgence of of bias against Italians, and that uh-huh. was for good uh-huh. reason. I mean, not for good reason, but for obvious reasons, right? right? Because of Italy's role in the war. So, uh, absolutely. But also, was, it was it was kind of subtle to to me in this movie. I mean, you know, you could spot it, but it wasn't incredibly overt. No, it's a little bit of coding, right? Coding, so he's yeah. got the mustache. His name is Scully. There's a little bit of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nobody really calls him anything out specifically, but it's pretty clear. In, so I think in the other two films, it's actually more clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, he's okay. this definitely it was he was a character of his time. Yeah, because the ethnicity of this character had no bearing on this story in particular. Right. So, all right. Well, I think that does it for this. Episode 12 of We made it, everybody. We did it. We did it. We did it. <laughs> High five. You know what? Let's all congratulate ourselves. Have a sip of wine. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I'm going to tell you something. And you can't see this because it's a podcast. But uh, I kind of gave myself a generous pour of wine <laughs> to go through this movie. My, my lovely crystal glasses kind of have like little markings on them and a a regular day I'll pour up to that first line and like a bad day I'm going to pour right on up to that second that second little groove on my on my crystal and this was a second groove kind of episode so should be fun when I take it to the editing bay. All right, The Devil's Sleep episode 12 of 50 Date Night Screams that'll do it. And Mike, remind everyone where they can download this character for use in their tabletop role-playing games. That's right. So Umberto Scali will be available for free on patreon.com slash Talien, T-A-L-I-E-N. So we will be posting links there. And of course, they are collected. Umberto's going to be one of the masterminds, by the way. So he actually goes nicely with the full set. 
in uh, 5e foes gothic villains which will be available for drive through rpg and to my patrons who are uh pat- monthly patrons of my patreon so It'll be everywhere. Uh, electronic uh, RPG products are sold, and uh, we're looking forward to releasing it. But, yep, definitely look for patreon.com slash Italian. All right. Well, thanks so much for making it through this movie and this episode with me. I think we're going to go on and try to salvage the evening in some kind of way. We're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> well, I don't know. I might salvage the evening by doing some drugs. All right. Do drugs, adults, but don't do drugs. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on 50 Date Night Screams. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at patreon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. La, 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 la. <laughs> oh, God, we're like real actors now. We actually do like voice actors. I do sometimes. I should probably do more of it, actually.